Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to Sam's Business Growth Show. This is a very special episode today. I'm delighted and humbled to be joined by Alan Barrett. Alan is the founder and CEO at Grenade, um, the UK's largest supplement company and a globally recognized brand. After launching in 2010 with his wife, Juliet, with just £27 in the bank, um, Grenade was grown massively and recently the majority share was sold for a huge £72 million to Lion Capital back in 2017. And since then, Alan's continued to grow the brand with great force. Um, Grenade's chocolate bar, Carb Killer, is actually the number one highest selling chocolate bar in the UK at the moment. Um, and Alan's core beliefs are building a brand of humour, humility, and the ongoing pursuit of excellence. Alan, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing, man? Hi, Sam. Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me. I've got to say, as I'm speaking of humour, I love the way we were just obviously chatting very briefly off air. And then I do this as well, where we're just sort of chatting normally. And then the minute the camera comes on, we're like performing monkeys and we start... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Everything, everything, volume goes up, everything sort of, everything starts getting, um, getting amplified, doesn't it then? I do it, we yeah, all man. do it. We all, it's just funny that's to see it. someone else do it, I know I do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just, I've just had my morning coffee, Alan, so I think that's just kicked in as well. So that's, that's helped me out. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I, I haven't had it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm close uh, to having pre-work. I'm going to call it 11, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to have some pre-workouts after, and I can see the it. chess session coming on. Even though it's not that's international good. chess day, it's not Monday, it's Friday, but... That's well, true, um, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but any day, any day chess awesome. Excellent. Well, myself and the audience, um, Alan, are keen to learn from your good self. Now, I know you've hammered out your story in a lot of podcasts and a lot of YouTube episodes recently, so I think we'll skip that for today, and we'll get straight stuck into the juicy parts, really. So our audience are keen to really know um, two things from yourself, and we want to know your top business growth tips and some of the marketing channels that have helped you get from where you started to where you are at today. So... um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to learn because I know you've you've scaled up your company. I think it was from around twenty-seven quid, wasn't it, to to multi-millions where you are now. So it'd be interesting <laughs> to learn some of the strategies that you've utilised to scale it to such a massive proportion where we are today. I tell you, it's interesting to say that as well because I don't really think of myself having done that until someone else says it because I still feel <laughs> very much I'm in it. And especially with everything that's going on now, it still feels like a starter. So I very often look round at work and there's like, you know, there's sort of 60, 70 people in the office. And, you know, I I remember each and every one of them coming in. You know, the bulk of that's been the last two or three years. But for the first couple of years, you know, Jules and I didn't hire anyone at all. But our first half a dozen staff that we hired are all still with us. Uh, You know, the, the, the core grenade team, as we call them. And um, yeah, yeah, I very often have to look round, and I just think, how did we, how did we, we, we get here? Um, and again, you know, to give you answer your questions and say potentially give you some tips. I mean, there's loads and loads of obvious ones um, sure. along the lines of you know hard work and and all of this stuff. But I, I, I genuinely believe, and I get asked this a lot, and I genuinely believe it's a combination of sort of twenty things that we've done, and then. Okay. Been, been consistent with it. Consistency is, is huge. And, and I, I see lots of people work hard, but they don't work hard for, for long enough. You know, my family worked hard all their lives. I've worked, I can't remember a time I didn't work hard. I've worked hard for 30 years. You know, I've worked myself for 30 years and I still work hard. So I think I'm, I, I do believe in business. It's easier for me because I don't have kids. 
Okay. So that's a sacrifice you know, that, that we consciously chose to make. I get the fact if you've got kids or a family, you've probably got other priorities. So pretty much if I'm awake, you know, I can be working, which does make me kind of quite, um, quite dangerous or quite boring, depending how you look at it. Um, <laughs> but, but we could sort of be quite, quite selfish with it, really. And, you know, for the first four years at Grenade, Jules and I yeah. didn't take a day off. We didn't take a salary because we didn't really need to. Um, and even now, if I go away overseas somewhere, I'll always go somewhere that's useful for the business, you know, whether it's in China or Australia or America, or wherever, you know, I can't, I mean, a friend of mine's in the Seychelles at the minute, he was sending me pictures of her bars in, uh, in, in the Seychelles yesterday. So we can't really avoid it. So I might as well go somewhere uh, useful. And Got to it. me as well, this, this doesn't really feel like work. You know, it doesn't really feel like a business. This is my passion. It's my baby. So I'm very fortunate to be able to get up every day um, and enjoy it. And I would urge any entrepreneur or any business, hopefully, if you don't feel that way about your business, then you're probably not in the right business. So that, that, that's a huge help. And then, you know, I've mentioned hard work and consistency, but I genuinely believe you have to have, whatever your business is, you've got to have an absolutely world-class product or service. There's so much stuff out there that, you know, I would look at as a consumer and just go, yeah, you know, who, who, who cares? I think it's fine having something if you want to be kind of cheap and cheerful and basic and price orientated. That's absolutely fine. Sure. I think it's fine if you want to do something that's kind of uber premium and appeals yep. to a lot less people because of price or, yep. or whatever. That's absolutely fine. Obviously, yep. that danger zone, you know, is really in the middle where you end up potentially. I always say, you know, if you're not meaningful to somebody, you'll at some point you'll be meaningless to everybody. Um, like by that, that okay. you know, I. I well, I look at brands like Under Armour, you know, that I look up to. And again, you know, Under Armour took on Nike. And how did they take on Nike? And they didn't take on Nike by doing what Nike were good at, because it's suicide. You know, when Virgin Cola took on Coke, they went into Coke head on. Um, you know, it was never going to work. You have to you have to look at where the brands potentially are weakest. Compression was so small at the time that, you know, Nike weren't interested and got caught sleeping. So Under Armour came in and made, made compression, uh, you know, a big thing. And again, we've done that with weight loss and pre-workouts and then namely with Carb Killer with a functional chocolate bar. All the big chocolate bar manufacturers now have tried to do a protein bar. Um, but actually them doing that and sort of, dare I say, not doing it that well because they're still very high in sugar just kind of amplifies us to look even better. Um, so you know, world-class products or service. Um, you've got to surround yourself with brilliant people. That's the hardest thing bar none and that is still a challenge you know, for every hundred people that we interview, 99 wouldn't be right. Um, wow. You know, whether okay. it's cultural fit, the ability to do the job. We find that super hard. Um, and, you know, when, when we get the right combination of, of people, um, and I don't, we've never had anyone that we've, we've, we've got no regretted leavers. I've never lost anybody who wants the key. Um, but I think when you get that right combination of people where I trust them, they trust me, we would say, you know, we cut them in half, they bleed orange. Um, that's such a powerful combination because I, you know, I'm pretty capable. I can do a lot, but I can't do the work of 70 people. And, and you've got to realize really early on what you're good at, what you're bad at, uh, and certainly stick to what you enjoy and what you're good at. And that's where you're going to have the most strength. And for me, I've learned that I'm probably best conducting the orchestra. I can do a bit of everything, but I would say conduct the orchestra, you know, don't go around running around trying to play all the instruments easier said than done when obviously it's a startup because obviously at the sure. start you have to you have to pile the instruments but that's that's tricky we have to identify those initial early roles 
Um, and then for, for Grenade, aside from you know, having a world-class brand product or service, um, it, it, you know, you, you've got to really focus on you know, one thing that, that you can own. I believe a brand has to own something. And the reason yeah. we had one product with, with uh, Grenade and with our fat, fat loss product, with our thermodetonator, was because we, we really felt like we could own and be distinctive in, in weight loss. You know, we didn't invent weight loss products, um, but I think we invented one that was, you know, really iconic and stood out and was protectable. And all the other stuff just looked the same. Um, and, you know, brands are always extensions of their founders. And for me, uh, I, I'm very kind of all or nothing. I'll, I'll either do something absolutely to my best ability at 100% or I just won't bother. Because um, I can inherently Love be that. quite lazy, which always shocks people. But I can also, I could, you know, I could work seven days straight as well. So it does come to that. I'm just sort of very, very extreme. So I think people have to commit to it. And I just see too much... Um, you know, non-commitment, too much fear with people, with businesses and, and brands. You know, they, they treat it like a nine-to-five business um, and they can kind of feel they can turn it on and, and turn it off if they want. And I just don't think you can do that. I think if you're in it, you're in it. Um, I don't think you can sort of turn it up and down. And, and I think anyone that's self-employed would probably tell you the same, really. They'll feel like they're always at work, which can be a bad thing. Um, you know, so, but I, I can only really say how, um, how I... I know that feeling exactly, Ellen. So... Just yeah. before we move um, on, you've, you've laid down some absolute golden nuggets there. So if we could just recap on a few of those, Alan, yeah, sure. and just dive into a bit of detail on some of those. So ju- I've just been taking notes while you've been going through those. So I know one of the first points you said was to have a world-class product. So doing a bit of research on yourself before the show, I know that um, I was reading some articles and I know that in terms of the supplement side of things, like you said, you chose to go with the, the Carb Killer Chocolate Bar. I think that you were the first guys to do that really, weren't you? Because before then all supplements are really in kind of plastic tubs or tins and things like that. So you put your unique spin on it and that sounds like that was one of the keys to, to its success, right? On being quite yeah, unique. De- and- yeah, definitely. I mean, we'd already, we'd already built, and I think this comes back to my earlier point on owning something and being meaningful to someone. Founders of brands should always gravitate towards what they enjoy. You know, the, the owner of founder of Formula One, um, uh, sorry, of um, Red Bull, love Formula One. What a surprise, got he's got a Formula One racing team. So they'll always, again, Mike Ashley, for the football team, you know, you'll always gravitate towards that one I do. I like military stuff. I've always been interested in military. So I started okay. making product for military, specifically special forces, because I'm not interested in football and conventional sports. And because all of our competitors at the time, they were interested in football and cricket and rugby, they made products and supplements for those people, okay. which is absolutely fine. But I looked at it and everyone was doing it. Again, they all looked and sounded the same. And you know, I I've got friends in special forces at the time, I still have. And, you know, no disrespect to footballers. And, you know, I, I don't really sort of I, I just don't really get the achievement of training probably a bit most days and running around the pitch for ninety minutes and they're kind of considered <laughs> elite athletes. I know there's a lot more to it than that, there's a lot of skill involved. So I'm not kind of bracing footballers, but I just sort of, I just, you know, I don't really get it because I, I know at the time, you know, I, I got friends who were, you know, parachuting into the Middle East from 35,000 feet, being dropped in the wrong location, having to uh, run 50 kilometers in, say, 12 hours, you know, so a double marathon um, in, uh, sorry, 52 miles, sorry, so run a double marathon in 12 hours through 
severe terrain, carrying 100 plus pounds of gear, getting there, then having a 24 hour firefight, then being shot three or four times, then getting airlifted out. And you think, yeah, I'd, I'd take a game of cricket over that. Uh, you know, I mean, some of the, some of the stuff they do. So I thought, actually, I want to, I want to make product for people who are really elite uh, in something. And again, there's loads of elite runners and things like that, but I just, like, sure. I just gravitate towards the military. So, um, and I think by really owning that, and again, it being quite undercover, quite covert for a, for a few years, um, we really built a solid foundation. We learned a lot as well by working with some of these amazing individuals. And then we really started to own specialized sports nutrition. And then when, a bit like Under Armour with compression, when we own specialized sports nutrition and you've got, you know, pretty hardcore military guys going, this stuff's amazing. You know, we live on this stuff. Um, it, it gives you credibility to do other stuff. So then when the, the protein bar opportunity came along, we certainly didn't invent protein bars. You know, protein bars have been around for sort of 30 years, but we invented good protein bars without a shadow of a doubt. Because for, for 30 years, uh, you know, me included, people would eat protein bars. And it was just like chewing a dog toy. Um, <laughs> and and, and any time, and again, this, is, this was very much, this was the, um, you might've heard this. This is kind of an old school sports nutrition saying, but people would say, well, it, it's got to be good for you because it doesn't taste very nice. Um, and people still say that. And I'd be going, well, why? Why can't it be? Why can't it taste nice? Um, so you know, if we made a, a protein shake, you know, I want to make it taste like a McDonald's straw milkshake. I wouldn't have done it to taste like cat sick. Oh yeah, um, I know the but, amount of protein and stuff that I've taken, Alan, has just yeah. tastes absolutely horrible. But, but this <laughs> comes back to that initial point again of that attention to detail and why it's so important. Because you know, we spend years on new product development. We always have, and we still do. You know, we spent four years trademarking grenade before we even launched it. And I think nowadays, just no one bothers. Um, and I just don't get that because it comes back to that. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it well. I don't know why, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't set off in a race, a competitive race, knowing I couldn't win. I just wouldn't do it. If I thought, you know, I, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd want a chance of winning. Otherwise, you just wouldn't set off. Um, and, you know, that, that, that's just me. But I do think a lot of entrepreneurs are probably that, that competitive. Um, and then, you know, with, with, with those bars, all bars pretty much tasted appalling. And some of these protein bars were selling extremely well. And, mm. and actually, I noticed something interesting online. You know, a couple of particular brands that were huge and still are, uh, consumers would be eating them and absolutely raving about them. And I'd go, oh, right. I'll, I'll, I'll try that. You know, that's got a five-star review for taste. And I'd try one of the bars. And I'm like, are we eating the same thing? You know, I'd, I'd take a bar into Grenade HQ and 30 people couldn't eat one bar. And yet it's getting five-star reviews on Amazon. I think that this doesn't, there's something not, not right here. And I think people were kind of becoming cheap and just reviewing it and giving stuff good reviews because other people were giving it good reviews. And I, I, I'm just one of those people, rightly or wrong, they'll all speak my mind. And I, I was like, actually, I don't like that. So I spent two years making one that I wanted to eat. And no one was doing a, a low-sugar, chocolate-covered protein bar. Um, so that's what we developed because no one else was doing it. it took two years, literally, to the day. Um, and everyone was against it. You know, our investors at the time were against it. They said, don't launch it. It won't sell. Protein bars don't sell. They're not a thing, blah, blah, blah. So I just did it anyway. Um, <laughs> and those, those, okay. those first 50,000 bars we sold in two hours. And then well, the next right. three years, we were pretty much out of stock. So that brings up quite a good point, Alan. So you said the investors at the time were all saying, no, don't do it. So what still drove you? Because that's something that probably comes up with a lot of business owners, a lot of people's minds, where it's kind of like, you've got all these people around you saying, no, 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 don't do it. It's a terrible idea. But in your mind, you're like, I'm passionate about this. I've been working tirelessly for weeks, months, years for this. I'm going to do it. 
I, I should give you a really clever answer saying something along the lines of the fact that I've got this absolute fervent belief and give you lots of scientific reasons, but the real reason is just don't like being told not to do stuff. So I've never, I've never liked being told what to do. But uh, jo joking aside, uh, I, I don't ever want to be where everyone else is. That's just me. And I, I, I can... That's, you know, remember that for the last 30 years, I don't want to everyone else is. If all my mates went out to play football, I didn't want to go and play football. I wanted to go and do something else. And I just always rather be kind of one of one rather than one of many. And and with with the protein bar situation, this is kind of an interesting one, actually, because okay. I, I believe in making business just as simple as possible. People massively overcomplicate this sort of stuff. And actually, I, I learned this from uh, Richard Branson the same in the sense yep. that uh, he just really gets quite agitated when people overcomplicate things because he wants to be able to understand it and keep it simple and and you know i'm i'm the same the meat start getting complicated the chance of execution it just diminishes rapidly and with this protein bar situation uh, like i said i was watching brands that didn't taste very good with a kind of a chewy bar doing well so straight away that they were quite popular, so that actually I can improve on that. There's a better way of doing this. If people okay. will eat that bar that doesn't taste very nice, I think I can sell a bar that does taste nice. So that, that told me everything I need to know. Where you get institutional investors versus entrepreneurs, institutional investors generally are super intelligent people and lots and lots of business qualifications, but have never actually gone out and done it. It's all theory. And I'd much rather... Um, you know, do the doing. And I said to one of the guys yesterday, too much thinking, not enough doing. Um, or, you know, as I said, stop learning, start earning. Um, I said, you know, I said as well. So I'd rather learn by doing stuff than just kind of overthinking it. And that's really common as well with, with business nowadays. But with these particular bars, um, I just think if I make something I want to eat, you know, I can't be, I'm quite unique, but I can't be unique in the situation that, you know, I know it tastes nice, no, it doesn't taste nice. So, uh, you know, I think we could be onto something there. The reason these investors were against it was because there was no data telling them that it was kind of a thing. It didn't really exist because no one had done it before. But for me to, to look at um, an industry that no one's done before, that's the opportunity because I don't want to be in an industry that everyone's done it before, because what's the point? You know, a lot yeah. of these business models, once they've been used once, that, that, that model is broken once it's been, in, been used. So in business, everyone has to find their own way. And, you know, we still are finding our own way. But that's why we always say, you know, we do things our way and, and, and nobody else's. So now, you know, we're very, very reliant on, on data. But I'll have a look at the data. And stuff like Amazon, for instance, is really useful in terms of saying what our top sellers are because you've got 30 million people buying product. It's updated hourly. And at any point, you can see what our top selling protein bar is. So, got it. Um, you know, that, that, it's useful from that perspective. But... If it came to me doing a new flavor, I'd just literally go on, on gut feeling. And that's what I did with making Carb Killer, went on gut feeling. And other advisors are saying, look, you know, this category doesn't exist. And they're thinking, therefore, what's the point? Because they'd rather go into a big category that did exist. For me, that's worse. It's more competitive, although neither are easy. You can either fight it out with lots of people in a competitive category, or you can build the category. They're both hard, but I'd rather build the category than kind of just turn up late to the party and, you know, do what everyone else has done because it's just not me i'd rather just go and do something else and we've always done stuff like that really makes sense okay alan well you've, you've shared some some great stuff with us so far and before we jump into some finer details on how you scaled your business from um, a certain level to a higher level 
what I want to touch on is sacrifice because you've made a really good point. And some of the some of the other entrepreneurs that we've had on the show so far have kind of honed in on this as well. Um, so it's interesting that you said you've made quite a few big sacrifices to get to where you are now. Plus, you're working pretty much every day of the week nonstop. So is that something that you feel that to be an entrepreneur, to be a success in business, you have to do, you have to kind of put all your time and sweat into this. Otherwise, there's no real point in doing it half-heartedly. To be honest, I do. Uh, I mean, if anyone can come along and build a huge business working three days a week um, and just kind of not taking risk and not committing to it and not making sacrifice, I would love to meet them. But I would also say that they've probably had a lot of, I don't really believe in luck because I believe that kind of luck is opportunity meeting preparedness. Um, you know, I always say, but um, I'd have said they've had a lot of tailwinds, um, let's say, because we certainly haven't got where we are with luck. You know, we've invented categories that didn't exist. We set up post-recession or in a recession. So we trademark grenade. Um, well, we actually started the, the, the formulation process and trademark in 2006. So from 2006 to 2010, you know, the last economic crash, we worked all the way through that. Um, okay. So I had to be super cost, con cost conscious. And again, a lot of this stuff, you know, that wasn't in supermarkets. So we had to convince the entire supermarkets, uh, you know, all those retailers uh, that this, this was a category that existed, you know, very much like Red Bull did back in the day. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't think of a, of a, a single entrepreneur that hasn't had significant risk. I mean, even, you know, sorry so much Richard Branson again, but only because he's documented this a lot in terms of working all over the world, not really having an office, um, Sitting, whether it's Necker or on a houseboat or in, um, uh, you know, a, a student flat. Okay, he was very, very flexible about where he worked, but he was still working. And okay, he had his kids and his family around him, but he was still working. So, yeah, he was there a lot when they were growing up, but he was still working, but he wasn't, you know, going to an office nine to five. So I think that's sure. probably one thing that this pandemic will teach us is more people will work from home, more people will get what I would call a work-life blend, not really a work-life balance. Because I think balance yeah, okay. means kind of doing one, one or the other. But I think yeah. blend now meaning, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm getting emails from my team at 10 o'clock Saturday night, um, you know, regularly. If they want to sit there and do that then, that's absolutely fine by me. I don't mind when they do it, as long as it gets done, it gets done well. And, you know, if they want to do that and have Monday morning off, fine. So I generally quite laid back about that. Um, and I think all that's probably changing. And certainly in the future, there probably won't be as many people driving to the office because one thing I don't miss is you know a two hour a day commute it's just not productive time for me um so I can make a certain amount of phone calls but the phone network's fairly bad between <laughs> Stratford and Solihull so it yeah. drops out regularly it's difficult to make constructive phone calls. no that's that's um, it I think I think you're bang on bang on I think all this the pandemic one good thing that's come from it we can say is that remote working is going to be up and like you say people aren't going to be wasting as much time on traveling in their cars yeah. or on the train, whatever it may be, on the bus, because they realise they can jump on Zoom calls or they can work remotely. And I think employers are going to trust their staff to be able to work remotely because they've seen, well, most, most people can anyway, can be trustworthy working from home. Um, yeah. Before we get to that, I would like to touch on one point that I think would be of value to myself and the audience. So you, you mentioned, I know that you guys have recently got a massive contract with one of the major garages, haven't you? Um, so all your bars are rolled out. Oh, yeah, you're all... probably referring to Shell. Yeah, we supply all yeah. of them, but yeah, you'll be referring to, we've got a global agreement with uh, Shell. That's great. I forgot about that. But yeah, we have. Yeah. Thanks awesome. for reminding me about that. <laughs> and also, um, you talked about kind of breaking into supermarkets, so getting your, your bars as a, as a kind of mainstream product. So 
for anyone that's looking to do similar, it doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to get their um, product into a supermarket or they're just trying to get suppliers that can ship out their service or product. How did you go about doing that? How did you break into such a difficult tangent? It's a huge amount of hand-to-hand combat, I would call it. And it's taken 10 years. And we still, with the retailers, aren't necessarily where we need to be because it's changing all the time. So even with the retail distribution we've got, which is huge, so we've got 100,000 locations in the UK that sell our products. Traditionally, we've been at the back of store with sports, whereas the consumers have to go into the, the, the stores and you know wander around the store to find us, get a bar and then leave. Um, but we've been winning from the back of the store. So we've been out selling product that's at the front of store in the sexier locations because they're closer to the, the till points. We've been beating many well-known brands, even though we've been at the back of the store. So we're at the back, chocolate's been at the front and we've still been out selling it. Um, so obviously what we wanted to do was bring our product to the front of the store. Um, I mean, even that's taken pretty much two years because consumers are just not consumers are retailers are generally quite slow to make decisions only because they'll okay. have like one or two range reviews a year and you know they don't want to take risks i completely get that um yep. where we've been fighting to come to the front of the store then say the pandemic hit and front of store traffic is now down by 50 percent because people aren't running in on the lunch hour and doing a meal deal which is why <laughs> that so now you must want to be at the back of the store again so you can see yep. why just over the case of a couple of years you know you, you, you so actually what we really need now is to be at the front of the store and the back of the store so that Got way it. you can kind of be everywhere um you know multi-sided okay. and to, how did you win back, those contracts initially alan just to jump in to actually nail the contracts yeah. originally was that pitching or was that kind of reaching out cold or uh, uh so yeah persistence so remember when we first got into a supermarket it was with one product it was with a product you know thermodetonator that looks like a hand grenade so it wasn't the easiest thing to get onto a supermarket shelf uh, what we did first was we dominated specialty. So specialty okay. for us is, say, Holland and Barrett, GNC, uh, uh, you know, privately owned gyms, privately owned supplement stores. So that was the path of least resistance for us because uh-huh. it kind of makes more sense to go and buy a fat burner from Holland and Barrett than perhaps yep. Tesco for lots of people. So remember... Uh, you know, you've got to go back 10 years where sports nutrition was a very specialized industry. And I've already talked about the specialized product that we have now sure. in 2020. It's not a specialized industry and people want to be able to go to probably their supermarket and buy good quality multivitamins or a protein shake or a protein bar or a weight loss product. So they're not going to probably buy a complicated pre-workout or a complicated intra-workout. But funnily enough, you know, they actually can. So we supply Tesco with 50 caliber and Defend. But you wouldn't stand a hope in hell's chance of getting that in 10 years ago because it wouldn't have sold. And remember, these are generally expensive products, 40, 50, 60 pound products. It's not something you'd walk down a supermarket aisle and go, oh, yeah, tomato ketchup, bread. Ah, I'll just spend 60 pounds on a free workout I've never heard of. You know, they're just not going to do it. So our product originally has always been something that's been sold with some assistance. So, you know, they, they, they would go to a Nutricenter or a GNC, and they'd say, I'm thinking about losing weight, what do you recommend? And then, you know, that store associate would recommend them. So what we did was dominate specialty first. That gave us a few thousand stores. We then were always talking to Tesco, who wanted to get more into health from an early uh, early day. So I managed to find out who the Tesco buyer details um, uh, were. His name was Andrew Carpenter, I think, at the time. And uh, I dropped him an email, and he didn't respond. But I only ever sent him one email, because okay. I don't believe in chasing people. And again, people, as much as 
you want to persevere. I also don't yep. believe too much on pushing on doors that are very firmly closed. So I sent an email and then what we did, we carried on doing what we were doing, but we just supplied all their competitors. So six months later, he actually replied to my original email and said, do you wow. want to come in for a chat? And then <laughs> I amazing. actually said, so I just said then, um, actually why out of interest? And he just said, I can't ignore you any longer. But it was interesting that he couldn't ignore me. At least he was up front. In one email. Yeah, exactly. And do you know the best thing about it as well was it wasn't me badgering him. It was everyone else badgering him. So you'd got, so for instance, if I wanted to um, try and get into a particular retail chain, um, then, and you know, you'd, you'd send the buyer some product and have a conversation with the buyer, but I'd also send it to everyone in the office because then they're not going to believe anything I say or one of my team says, yeah. despite the fact we've got all the data because you can make data saying it show anything that you want, um, but their co-workers or their kids and this is a common one buyers will say oh my kids love this stuff <laughs> you know if the buyer's kind of in their 40s and the kids are 16 17 18 or whatever they go god my kids live on this all their friends live on this and they become influenced by that this is actually one of the first generations where parents are more influenced by their children than children being influenced by their parents which is unusual so um maybe that's just unique to us but that's something that we've noticed definitely so awesome. um and then again, you see, this is why it comes down to having, you've got to have a good product because if the product doesn't taste good or it's not good, no one's going to recommend it. It's, this is, and it gets you, it's back to that point, keeping it simple. Um, the amount of people that make protein bars that taste shite, just, it, it just beggars belief to me because, you know, I'll eat one of our bars, I'll try a competitor bar and I go, why would anyone buy that bar ever again? And, and actually that tends to hurt the industry. Because if someone buys a bad protein bar for the first bar they ever buy, they're never going to buy another one. If somebody buys one of our bars for the first time, they're probably going to buy all the others because they'll try more. So this is just comes back to that quality point and, again, having a, a, a world-class product. Um, so we got into Tesco. I think it was about 2012 uh, we got into yep. Tesco, so after a couple of years. Um, and, again, you know, not huge sales, but what you need with FMCG products and food products is you need – tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of locations and again you know okay. when you've got one um you know then you can start the conversation in our case with sainsbury's or asda or uh, morrison's and again you know they all need to have what they all have so it kind of opens the floodgate then but the first one is the hardest got it and that brings me on nicely to a point i really wanted to discuss with you alan um which was a lot of um, small business i'm sure on the same boat we're on kind of a few hundred k a year turnover or revenue how do you get from that stage, um, from doing a few hundred K, perhaps close to a mil, to breaking into the millions? What was the turning point for you? Was it being able to venture into all the main supermarkets? Was that what clicked it, what the light bulb moment? Or was it something yeah. else? Or was it hard work? Or was it getting the right team members? Or was it a marketing strategy? Or was it a mix? I mean, it's kind of all of that. I mean, we didn't really have a marketing strategy as such. And, you know, we do now, but it's not something I spend time on. The, the, the team would do that. But I just okay. like doing stuff that's... Um, I enjoy is kind of like one-off individual challenges. You know, I like driving tanks through London and things like that. You know, is it a strategy? Yeah. Not really, but it works. It's good fun. Good for branding. Um, so I, yeah, so I like doing that sort of stuff. Um, in order to turn over and scale, I mean, we just had that real focus. So for the first two years, we only ever had one product and we got that product up to 5 million um, revenue just with one product. So just through focus, really. There are, you know, and that's a lot of sales for one product. That's a heck of a lot of sales, a reason, yeah. 
the, the reason we did that as well, again, was deliberate because when I was a distributor for sports nutrition brands, most of the brands that we dealt with had huge product ranges, 95% of which didn't sell. And as a distributor, I didn't want stuff that was sat in my warehouse. A retailer doesn't want stuff just sat on their shelf. So when I was a distributor, I cherry picked all the bits of brands that I wanted. Um, and that's why, you know, we consciously started with weight loss because at some point everyone's going to want to lose weight. And um, it, it just that singularity of purpose, I think, really paid off. Because if I go in, I've got, you know, product in a grenade bottle and say, right, you know, this is the best selling fat burner in the UK, which, you know, it still is. Um, but I've got all these other products as well. You're just diluting your own proposition. So I okay. think you'd be really clear um, in what you're offering. And to be fair, you know, the, the, the turnover just comes obviously, you know, through sales. Um, so it, it was never, a, we never had strict financial targets. We kind of do now because the, the, it's easier to make those kind of predictions. But I think our first year of business, we did about 250K, um, which is a partial year. Then I think, you know, year two was like a million. Um, then year three was like 4 million. So we just kind of quadrupled it or doubled it, which is how we've managed to stay in fast track for six years running um, in the okay. fast track 100. Got it. Okay. And before we kind of wrap things up, Alan, it would be interesting to know, appreciate now you've got a marketing team that probably look after a lot of that with your, your good self overseeing it. But in the early days, I think you were doing shows, right? Were you doing trade shows to market? And then I oh, guess yeah. you moved on to other yeah. channels. So could you talk us through kind of, the early stage marketing, maybe cold outreach and shows, <laughs> and then what you moved on to do, and then when you've got a team to look after it for you. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, uh, yeah, the marketing team was my wife. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, so I did sort of sales and products, and then she did marketing and everything else. Um, although we both did, you know, bits of social media and, and, uh, and so on. But, uh, yeah, the early days... Uh, the, the you know the, the trade show it's not as big as it was now but you know a good old trade show was a good way to kind of get in front of consumers um this was just i mean you know facebook was out this is 2010 so facebook's out but that's probably about it um sure. and you know for us it was it was body power and we decided we did this body power show because um you know how were we going to go and tell the industry uh, about our grenade product and our actually it was our 10th anniversary yesterday it was 10 years to the day oh, that, that we, that, yeah that we stood at we stood at body power so i put that on um, on linkedin the pic the original picture um but you know we got no money so how did we stand out when all of our competitors have got huge budgets and we're going to give away tens of thousands of t-shirts and they've got formula one cars on their stand and loads of fitness models and and whatever and i thought well you know we're called grenade and i like tanks so i just talked to a friend of mine who owns tanks into lending us one of his tanks and we we, we drove a, a 17 turn armored personnel um and self-propelled gun into body power put a grenade awesome. banner on it got you know a couple of these grenade t-shirts and sort of stood there with our grenade product and then waited for something to happen um and then you know consumers loved it um and again, we made contacts and there were, uh, there were people there from the US and, you know, G and that's where Holland and Barrett actually saw us uh, for the first time was at that show. Um, awesome. And I think, uh, you know, and, and, and one of the things that um, I think has been critically important to Grenade and still is, uh, and, and it's the best weapon in any entrepreneur's arsenal and certainly has helped us along the way and certainly again at those first shows talking to people. And, you know, everyone's got it and it's free. His personality, it goes a long way. Um, and, you know, people buy from people. And because we've always been so passionate about Grenade from day one, that's been infectious. And because we've believed, other people have believed. And it's just yep. been that kind of slow snowball effect, really. Um, the repeat purchase rate 
for thermodetonator was like 80%, uh, you know, which is huge. So I would say, you know, selling something to someone once, it's probably relatively easy, but, you know, do it again and again and again and again. And people have consistently bought that product for 10 years um, because it's good and they trust it and they like it. And it's, it's, like, it's becoming iconic now. So um, with us standing there with that tank at the show, and, you know, on our, I put this on, on LinkedIn yesterday, as I mentioned, and twice the number of people so far have seen my LinkedIn post. Um, yep. In fact, three times, because I think it had about 80,000 views as of this morning in 24 hours. There were only 20,000 people at that original show. So isn't it interesting how, you know, 10 years later, I can reach three times the amount of people and not even leave my office versus going and standing there um, and doing that, doing that trade show. But, you know, we absolutely put the hard yards in with all those trade shows and we built the team and we took tanks into shows all over the world. You know, that was our thing. Um, and the, the nice thing about those trade shows as well, where, you know, we started off with no sales and then we'd leave and we'd have, you know, a couple of customers who might have, uh, you know, spent 20,000 pounds with us because they'd bought, you know, thousands of, of our fat burner products. Um, and we could quickly work out, we paid for the show. So, you know, we did a show in Germany and by the time we'd even driven back to the UK, the show was free because we'd sold that much product. And I thought, this is great. There comes a point then where you start turning up at shows, which is, tends to be what's happened over the last few years. And okay. like, we know everyone, there's a lot of market awareness. We're spending more than ever on the shows, but actually we're not getting the return. So now right. we just don't do shows um, pretty much because you're just turning up and telling people what they already know. Um, so, so knowing, knowing when to stop then sounds like a good lesson learned right then, def Alan. Definitely. And it's really easy to get sucked into doing what everyone else is doing or just doing the same thing because it used to work. Uh, and cool. this stuff kind of starts to turn into vanity. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so we, we pretty much stopped, stopped the trade shows because now, you know, trade show for us might be like $100,000 and I could spend $100,000 elsewhere. Um, you know, we, I mean, we, we, we get more visitors to our website in a day than would even be at the show. So you, you're kind of better off spending our time and energy that way but we do still like doing experiential stuff and sort of rocking up in london every now and again in the tank because consumers love it and i enjoy it yeah. so no that's great fun so it, it sounds like even from the start you've kind of gone for things that were quite unique in terms of Definitely. representing the brand and standing out and like you said that, that had a huge impact at the first trade shows you started going to you started getting decent orders and then grew it from there um, apart from reaching out to supermarkets and brands to, to start stocking your items, were there any other ways of marketing outreach that you did until you built up the team now? And obviously now you've got a multi-channel approach, I'm sure, with your website, online marketing and such to drive yeah, revenue. So we're still learning a lot about the digital side of things because that's not my specialty. I'm kind of an old school guy. Sure. I like to work in a shop, so I like product in shops. And ultimately for you know, edible food products that are two quid, you need them in shops. So multi-channels kind of harder for me personally, because it's, it's not my forte. Um, but there's lots of people in the business that, it, you know, it is their forte and having so. everything coexist. So people, you know, going into coffee shops and buying bars leads them into going online onto say grenade.com or Amazon and buying boxes. So a bit like Coke, really, you know, you, when you're thirsty, you don't go online. But if you buy, you know, a can of Coke in a shop, you might buy a case of 12 at the supermarket or, you know, when, when you, when you're on Amazon or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, social media has been huge. I, I do. I, I don't like a lot of the traditional social media style models of having kind of ambassadors and influencers and paying people to say stuff. And in fact, you know, for the first nine years of Grenade, we never paid anyone to say anything nice about us. People just did. Um, we've had a period 
again now where you start you know getting bigger campaigns and better known people have got bigger reach but even now we still only work with people that we really like it's all completely genuine these are all people who've approached us um we get approached daily by every major football team you can think of every major rugby team you know they all want free product and we just don't do it you know they all buy, they all use our product and they all buy it um so and you know i mean we had we had one pop up um, yesterday from you know somewhere quite obscure it was, a, it was a Caribbean rugby team um, and it's the same you know for them they, they, they buy a product and again to a certain extent if you're a professional sports person why wouldn't you we make the best stuff and it's informed sport so if you don't want to buy it you've kind of got no choice anyway because <laughs> um, everyone else's product is either worse or not informed sport so um, I think we've got kind of got the best combination there so it's a bit of a no-brainer really. Fantastic okay no that's, that's great we've, we've covered some fantastic ground Alan um, one thing I do like to ask is that if anyone tuning in is thinking of starting their own business or anyone has recently started a business, are there any quick tips that you could give them just to steer them on the right track, um, just to keep them motivated and kind yeah, of make do you them know what? I, I, I was chatting to, I did another podcast yesterday actually, and we were, we were saying the same thing about, um, about this. And I'm, I'm going to give the simplest advice I can ever give with this because I very often... Um, entrepreneurs and, and people in business really underestimate uh, the simplicity of this answer but it's actually to start it in the first place because the vast majority of people I know that talk about doing a business never even start it all they do is talk about it and, and talking doesn't get you anywhere if you start it you'll learn something um, and I know it's like a really stupid analogy but you'd be surprised how many people are analyzing the race and why they didn't win the race and then they when they look back they never actually started the race so uh you know, absolutely just do it. Get started. I mean, protect the downside. Um, so, you know, if you're sort of 45 and have got three children and a massive mortgage and a well-paid job that's secure, maybe don't quit your job, um, you know, and, and kind of remortgage your house and risk everything. But maybe <laughs> yeah. work at your job in the daytime, build a safety net up. And, you know, evenings and weekends and spare time, build the other yeah. business up and then, you know, let one out and then go part time and let one over say, you know, so, you know, be sensitive about it, but at least, at least do it. Um, I kind of get quite frustrated with people asking for business advice and three years later, they're still asking for the same advice and they still haven't even started it. So we just kind of don't give it now um, just because it just irritates the shit out of me. Fair um, enough. Yeah, don't blame I, you. I, well, I was, uh, I was, uh, I'll give you my favorite example of business advice um, story uh, just to wrap up in the sense that just because this is completely true. And uh, I've got a guy that uh, does sports massage with me. That's an awesome lad and I'm his longest serving client. So for once a week for the last four, four years for an hour and a half on a Thursday night, <clears throat> he's come and give me sports massage and he's brilliant at what he does but also he's very upbeat i like him it's good downtime for me and we just kind of chat shit really so ah, it's and, right. you know and but, but he gets more quality time with me than any of my senior team would have an hour and a half a week uninterrupted so he can ask me anything he wants you know so he does and he was setting up a business at the time and he talked about it for three years and the game with all the advice helped him the name helped him with trademarking looked at logos with him did all this stuff and then um Again, it was just all talk and no action. Um, to the point that I banned him from talking about it. I said, you know what? Never, I, I'm not interested. Talk about anything you want. Never mention this business again because you're not doing it and I'm just getting pissed off with it. And he went, you know what? You're right to say that. Fine. So we never spoke about it. I, again, <clears throat> I then did the Steve Bartlett uh, show. Um, Steve, okay. The yeah, yeah. CEO uh, last year. And it was one of the first big podcasts I did. It was about an hour and a half. 
and it's sure. one of the most down, downloaded podcasts ever in the UK. I think it reached fourth in the Apple iTunes overall oh, chart. Wow. Um, and uh, he listened to this podcast and he came in that night and he went, oh, listen to your podcast today with Steve Bartlett. Unbelievable. Oh, the stuff you were saying. I went, Ben, I've been telling you that for three years to your face. And he went, different on the radio though. Oh dear. <laughs> But no, isn't like, it bizarre how all of a sudden you can tell someone something to their face and it's kind of worthless because there's no one listening. The minute you're, you know, on the radio in inverted commas, all of yeah, a sudden it, a good point. it kind of, it, 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 it makes that, well, it must be true because I heard it. It's like the like, it must be true. I saw it on the internet or it must, you know, I saw it in the newspaper, but it just kind of almost, um, uh, you know, gives it credibility. <laughs> so, whereas I suppose that, you know, the laughy jokey bloke on the first about that was actually saying all this stuff, which is going in one and out the other. Um, but it's just an interesting point. So I think, yeah, very long and way of answering your question, but yeah, fuck's sake, just do it. Um, you know, do, it. do something, has, do anything. So has he actually started his business yet? I've got no idea. I don't ask oh, him. <laughs> <bloody> <laughs> to, to be fair, no, I, he, he has, he has, he has. I did, I did ask him about a month it's, ago. I've not seen him obviously for seven weeks, but I did, um, yeah, he, he was, he was doing it and he'd sold some. I even ordered one off him. I didn't even want it. Oh, there you go. But I even ordered one <laughs> off him to, to basically, it was a, yeah, it was just a to sauna, hype him to, up to a bit. Yeah, I've got a sauna, but I ordered another one just to kind of, I was like, you've got sales for this thing now to try and he still didn't do it. But it was one of those things I've not really had time. It was like, well, you have had time. Did you train today? Yeah. Did you go to the food mar- supermarket? Yeah. Have you been to the gym? Yeah. Have you, have you brushed your teeth? Yeah. You had time to do all that. Have you yeah. read a book? Yeah. But again, there was too <laughs> much reading and too much research. Too much procrastination um, then, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Well, definitely, but it's really common. So I'm not knocking him because I love him to bits. And it's, it's no, actually it's very, it's very, very common, that is, to be fair. And I it's think... the fear factor. People are scared of failing. They don't think they're good enough. Um, but you'll never know unless you try it. And I'd much rather do it and fail and go, do you know what? I tried that. Look back and go, well, actually, I, I, I didn't even bother. Because if you don't do it, you've already failed. So you might as well try it and fail than fail by not doing it. So it's just kind of the same thing, really. Um, Abs- absolutely but, um, spot on. No, no the matter- And again... Well, I was just going to say as well, and all these random nuggets of uh, wall-to-wall wisdom, as I like to call it, or a business brand and banter, it's all available on that. I've got a podcast called Pull the Pin. We've, um, we've got the first eight episodes are released um, as well. So it's on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. So nice. if anybody wants to hear business brand and banter with me chatting with the Haskells and with the founder of Unilad and some of this stuff as well, there's some great gems in there. But we just generally laugh and take the piss. But there are some nuggets in there as well. So if people great want to stuff. know more, um, they can go and go look at Pull the Pin. Great stuff, Alan. Um, one final question is, have you got any daily habits or are there any habits that you think that people should follow to be a success in business? Oh, yeah, good and bad ones. Uh, yeah, I do actually. I suppose my, uh, the, um, oh, what does it have? I mean, I, I like routine in the sense that I'm a big believer in getting as much sleep as possible. I yeah. always train a very consistent with training. Um, I'm not anal about it to the point it's like it's very fluid. I don't feel like it one day I won't do it, but I'll do it the next day. So don't beat yourself up, don't do it. Um, but I do like having kind of good habits and a good structure and also nutrition. So I eat well. If I want junk, I eat it. Again, I don't beat myself up about it. But 90% of my diet will be really good food. So I think that eating, sleeping, training element for me is the, the, the basis of just Brooks. feeling well, feeling motivated, recovering, um, having that mental clarity um so that's the type of stuff i do because as i said before i'm kind of always at work 
Um, sure. And I'm, I, I, I like, I've not done it for ages, but I quite like shooting um, as well. But also okay. I like flying. I've got an aircraft and I, I, I'm not doing it at the moment, obviously, because of the pandemic. But uh, yeah, I do sure. like kind of flying places. And that's kind of, it's not relaxing, but it means when I'm flying, I'm thinking about flying. I'm not thinking about work. Um, so, but, you know, find, everyone should find something that is good for them, for their mental health, that they enjoy doing. That's a bit of, you know, them time. I love running, but I can't run because I've got a bad back. So uh, I'll tend to go out walking. I find it a bit boring. Um, but yeah, just when it's walking, mountain biking, um, any of that, listening to podcasts, being inspired by others, surrounding yourself with um, people, you know, brilliant people that inspire you. These are all just good habits that people should do in their day-to-day lives. Um, and just, to be honest, just avoid negative people and they're everywhere. Um, and if you've yep, got negative agree. friends, just get new friends, basically. Um, you just it. don't need it so create good habits and t- turn bad habits into good ones if you can as well it's entirely possible excellent and if you could thank just one person either dead or alive alan for having a positive influence on yourself and your career who would that be and why uh i would say probably i've, I've got a couple actually for completely different reasons my my dad for instilling a work ethic in me and also just because he worked ridiculously hard all his life he's, he's 70 78 last week actually so luckily he's sort of still with us um and also teaching me how not to do business because dad i love him to bits but he's a bloody awful businessman um so i learned a lot from dad about how to do things and not do things but i think the work ethic i definitely get from my dad and just actually both my parents to be honest so i thank my dad for that um and i think from from a, from a random inspirational piece um, I never forget seeing Richard Branson do that transatlantic crossing in 1988. I think I was 12. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he inspired me to again how you could have fun with business. And I think he taught me what an entrepreneur, you know, was or is. Uh, so I think Richard as well uh, for being a big influence there. And again, just having just being a generally bloody nice person. Um, so she teach everyone really that um, you know you don't have to be uh, despite all the bad press recently with him which isn't true um sure. then uh, yeah you can you can do the right thing in business you don't have to be a hard-nosed businessman to, to be successful excellent well everyone you've been tuning into sam's business growth show where we sit down with business leaders experts and entrepreneurs from around the globe we find out their story how digital marketing's helped them along the way and their exclusive tips and insights to skyrocket your business alan before we wrap things up give us a quick snapshot of your business how people can get in touch with your good self and um, where they can find you yeah, sure. So, uh, grenade.com is the website. Uh, I am a, uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, Grenade CEO, and uh, LinkedIn is probably the best profile for me. So, um, yeah, not difficult to find on, on LinkedIn, having one of my famous daily rants. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's a good chat. I can't get into personal correspondence, unfortunately, because I do get about 600 messages a day. I do read them, um, but I just can't reply to them. Um, I'd reply to the odd few but um depending what else is going on but otherwise i'd, I'd get i get buried and stuff so unfortunately can't do that but i do read them so you can find me uh, find me on there awesome the show is sponsored by webchoiceuk.com helping businesses skyrocket their leads sales and brand positioning via results driven digital marketing seo conversion focused web design and mobile apps that's webchoiceuk.com alan really appreciate your time man we've learned a lot from you thanks very much for coming on awesome thanks for your time sam nice to meet you Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.